the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. You were sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cut deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Monday. That means we are in a brand new week here on the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions. Whatever is on your heart, whatever you're struggling with, we'll do the best that we can to answer your questions. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. At 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, or you can send them in on our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Just, um, you can, whatever that question is, you'll get it to us uh, via that form as well. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend in church. Uh, we did. We had a lot of people. Some people got saved. That's always a neat thing. Um, tough study yesterday, but it was really, really a good study. Uh, tonight, because it's Monday here at Calvary Chapel, we want to keep you informed. We have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight. Uh, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men. Uh, Sheba Paley, Dr. Sheba Paley, will be teaching the ladies tonight. Um, Chris Sanchez, the junior high school kids, and Pastor Nelly, our high school pastor, will be teaching the high school age youth. All of that at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch online at calvarysa.com. Dr. Sheba will be... Um, live stream. So um, we'd love to have you. Child care, of course, is available. Uh, Monday night's a good night. Smaller groups and people can uh, talk about some things and it's usually a very productive, fruitful night. One more time, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We hope there's lots of questions, um, calls today. Our first question comes from Nacho uh, via our email. Uh, he says, in Isaiah 119, do the words the best mean just that, the best of something? Did the NIV translate it incorrectly? Uh, As I read this passage, what comes to mind is prosperity churches missing it by naming and claiming and painting a picture of the best to mean getting rich and well-off or healthy. I interpreted the best in this context as to good things that may be available. I deliver this from the Hebrew word, uh, I'll spell it T-U-W-B, as transliterated from that verse to mean good things in a much broader sense um, of prosperity. What do you think? Um, Nacho, uh, I think you're you're right. It says, uh, I'll read the passage. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. Uh, What what we're doing here, the the prophet is drawing a a parallel. The next verse says, but if you resist. So there's a, a do this and be blessed. Don't do this and you'll be devoured by the sword from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what Isaiah chapter 1 especially is, is a, a really important passage because it gives us God's heart on religion, uh, religion in general, false religion specifically, but those who claim to be 
belong to God as, as Israel was, and yet we're far from God. Um, your new moon feasts and celebrations, he says, I hate these things. And so what he's saying is, it's not hard to walk with me. You just have to be uh, willing and obedient. And when it says the word best, you'll eat the best in the land, it just means the good of the land or or that which the land that produces is good. In, in other words, God will send rain. Um, uh, there will be a, a, a bountiful harvest. Now, you're also right, Nacho, about uh, people misusing passages of Scripture like this to advance a false prosperity gospel. And unfortunately, that's been going on from the beginning of time. Uh, this isn't a promise that we will get the best. This isn't a, a Joel Osteen book, Your Best Life Now. This is simply saying that if you walk with Jesus, then you'll get the best of what he has for you. Not the best in this world. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes it is. But most often it's just being in the perfect, pleasing, acceptable will of God from Romans chapter 12. So that's what he's saying there. Your, your land will produce a crop. You will, you, you will be provided for. All you have to do is be willing and obedient. One of the problems that Israel had, it's also one of the problems that we have, is that all too often we have a tendency to think that God owes us the best of this world. When in fact, the only thing he's promised about this world is that it's perishing and going to pass away. I had a, a friend write me an email today and he was asking, uh, why do, do I think that there's such a lack of supernatural miracles in our church culture? Um, he was very discouraged. He, he, he was talking about having um, a, a real struggle with the fact that, you know, you open your Bible and you see miracle after miracle in Jesus' ministry. But but we walk around here in the United States and we don't see any miracles. Well, the, the answer is from this 20th verse in Isaiah chapter 1. We resist and rebel. We can't expect God to do miraculous things for us. We can't expect him to provide the best of this world when, in fact, we're in this world and we're sinning. Like unbelievers sin in this world. That was what was happening in Israel that Isaiah was was challenging. Uh, it's what happens now. Uh, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If we're not walking in fellowship with the Lord, Nacho, then we're not going to have the power of God available. It's not a button that we can push. And today I'm going to be good, so Jesus, give me some of your best. Uh, we have to live lives that are committed to Jesus. We have to live lives that are surrendered to his will. And that's when we'll see the miraculous. One other thing about the miraculous, although that's not your question uh, directly, Nacho, um, the miracles that we see that Jesus did, the miracles that we see done in the first century church, those are miracles that were sign miracles. In other words, signs we know you read something, you know where to go. Well, a sign points to something. The miracles that were done by Jesus and by the apostles pointed to the claims of Jesus, that he really was the Son of God, who is God the Son. So that's all he's talking about in, in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. You'll eat the good produce of the land because I will send rain and the crops will be harvested uh, on time as they are supposed to. So, Nacho, thank you for the question. I hope that helps. 340-9585. Here is a question from Joshua. Let me get it. Joshua says, um, in Revelation 1-5, where it says, Jesus was the first to raise from the dead, he wants to know why uh, it says that since there were others who rose from the dead before him, those that Jesus healed from death and the people in the tombs when he breathed his last, why uh, it doesn't say that he was the first born from the dead. Whenever you see the firstborn, it, it's usually sort of a, a reference to priority or even originality. Jesus, as our representative, was resurrected from the dead. He's the pattern that was established for the rest of us. Um, we know that Jesus wasn't the very first person raised from the dead um, because that was, we, we know Jesus himself raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised um, the, the little girl 
um, uh, from the dead. He, he, um, so, so the idea here is firstborn in terms of priority. It's the word protokos, and and it just it sets the pattern for or the establishment of. So, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Of course, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but died again, as did everybody else who was raised from the dead. They were raised to life, but then they died again. Only Jesus was resurrected to never die again. So he was the pattern. He was the uh, the the protocols. He was the, the the pattern to be established for the rest of us. So Joshua, great question. Thank you very much, and keep reading your Bibles. Uh, by the way, that is a uh, an 11-year-old little boy who is asking that question. I thank you. Uh, let's go to San Antonio. I'm talking with Art calling on line one. Art, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I have a couple questions, and uh, uh, it's, it's more about uh, my faith than, than anything else. Uh, I'm... Uh, I mean, I, I, I seem to be getting worse and worse. And, uh, uh, one thing's diagnosed, and then I get, I get something else. And uh, right now, it took me, it took me from the beginning of the program to dial your number because I can't see. Uh, I went blind. And I just, I, I don't believe in salvation no more. If he can't heal me. Let's see, if he can't heal something like me, how, how can there be life after death? How, how can there be? It's just, it, I, I'm losing, I'm losing it. Hmm. Art, I'm so sorry. The first thing I want to do is pray for you, and then I'm going to answer your question. And if you can, stay on the line so that if you have a follow-up question, you can do that. Jesus, take Art in your arms. Hold him, please. You can hear the pain in his heart. You can hear the fear. These things happen. You, you understand, Lord, how difficult it is, we who see things dimly. We ask you, Jesus, to touch. You don't owe us a healing. You don't owe us a miracle. But, God, we ask you mercifully to do that which only you can do. I, I lift my brother, Art, to you. I ask you to give him an assurance of his salvation. Wrap your arms around him, Lord, and let him know that he's in your hands. And by the power of your spirit, Lord, according to thy will, we ask you to touch and heal. Amen. Art, please listen very closely. You know, even Jesus asked his father for a way out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me and and, and the Father didn't deliver even His own Son. And none of us are promised that we're going to be healed from any illness other than the disease that is fatal to all of us, and that's sin. And we've talked on this program before, Art. I know you're a believer. The enemy is going to be at work overtime getting you to doubt your salvation. But don't connect the two things. We can ask God for healing and we should, but we can only ask, we only have a basis to ask when it comes from a grateful heart, not a basis if that, that, that request is made because, uh, well, God, I don't believe in my salvation if you don't heal me. He's asking us to believe in an established fact. Art, Jesus lived, he died, he died on the cross for your sins, he wiped all of your sins out, and one day when you stand before the Lord, um, you're going to be pronounced perfect and your body will be restored to perfect health and, and you will have a physical glorified resurrected body. Unfortunately, none of those promises apply to us in this life. We wish it did, but it it isn't. You know, I, I mentioned Art on the program um, um, early this month, I think it was, that since I got sick last year, and, and I'm doing well now, but since I got sick last year with a really freak heart thing and I nearly died, um, I, I have a lot more compassion and understanding now than I ever did before. I was in that bed and, and the doctor using terms like sudden cardiac death and I'd been so healthy my whole life I really didn't know how to handle it. Now I, th I think, I hope I did okay, 
But here's the one thing that never happened to me, Art, and I want you to really take this to your heart. I never doubted that he was there with me. I never doubted my salvation for a moment. I had to come to a place where I could say, Jesus, if I die and I'm with you, then I'm I'm receiving the goal of my salvation. But if I survive, Lord, I want the strength to serve you. And Art, this is a big test. The enemy's going to lie to you and he's going to try to cause you to doubt not only your salvation, he's going to try to get you to cause the good or, or, or doubt the goodness of God. This is one of those times when you've got to hold on for dear life. Now, uh, can you see anything at all now, Art? Uh, just uh, light. Okay, just light. Um, uh, get, get an audio Bible. This is really important. It's, it's in these times when we feel the least like fighting, when fighting is the most important. So do me a favor and read uh, the audio Bible. Read Philippians. Let, let it be played over and over three or four times. It won't take you very long to get through it. And, and Art, I promise you Jesus will speak to you. I promise he'll comfort you and there'll be a sense of, of you know he's there with you. Yeah, the meantime, so long, yeah I, I understand. I really do understand. However, this is when faith comes in. When we're afraid and we feel alone, I tell our church here, Art, that, that uh, faith is the antidote to fear. Uh, Jesus' presence is what comforts us in, in those moments when we feel the most alone. He's always there. And he is the only one that can comfort you. When Paul talks about a peace that passes understanding, so often we try to understand it. And, and, and if it passes understanding, that's a futile exercise. So just let Jesus wash you in his word. Mm-hmm. Let him convince you that he's there with you. And he'll whisper to your heart that his grace is sufficient. I, I don't know what his plan for you is, Art. I, I pray that you'll be healed. But I do know this, that no matter how desperate your situation is, his grace is enough. His grace is enough. And Art, I'm going to continue to pray for you, and I would really appreciate if you'd stay in touch. But don't let the enemy steal what you know for sure. You know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You know that he died for your sins. You know and have experienced the power of God in your life before. Now is the time when we have to hold on. We walk by faith and not by sight, we're told. This is one of those times when you have to hold on to what you know for sure instead of letting your fear cause you to let go of that, that certainty. Thank you. Okay, Art. Thank you, Pastor. I, I, I'll be praying for you. Keep, keep me posted, please. Yes, thank you, sir. Bless. My pleasure, Art. Thank you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. When when we get calls like Art, and I know there's lots of people in the audience who are praying now, but but maybe you can put Art on your prayer list, and we'll see if God won't do something spectacular for Art in in his time of need. These are the kind of of um, times when a program like this is so viable because there's so many people, thousands upon thousands of you out there who are praying. So. Art, we will keep you in prayer. Hard stuff. 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Are musical instruments permitted in church? Uh, I get this question from time to time. I think primarily because we have a Church of Christ influence here uh, in in Texas, uh, this part of the country. Um, uh, yes, musical instruments are permitted. We know that there are going to be harps in heaven. Um, David was an instrumentalist. Um, um, the, the Church of Christ, of course, teaches that there's only singing uh, that's permitted in church because there's no mention of musical instruments in the New Testament. Well, an argument from silence is really not an argument at all. Um, of course, any type of worship, sincere worship, is um, an object of rejoicing in heaven. So yes, 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 a thousand times yes. Uh, But but so too is singing a cappella. If you're singing from a heart that's grateful to God, if you're worshiping 
Jesus and your the words you're singing or the, the music that you're playing is backed up by a, um, a heart that, that genuinely wants to follow God and surrender all. That's true worship. Jesus said the Father is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. And of course, to do that, we need to be committed to, to doing and walking in the will of God. So yes, instruments are permitted. Uh, if if that's not your thing, it's okay. But musical instruments are just as acceptable as just plain singing. Um, I, I my own perspective, for whatever it's worth, is that worship would be pretty dull if we just opened a hymnal and sang the songs. Um, but from God's perspective, any music that comes from us and comes from a pure heart is like a Beethoven symphony to Him like the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel. So yes, musical instruments are okay. Let me take just a minute to to brag. Um, Not on me, but on on some more people. Uh, One Sunday uh, a month here at Calvary Chapel, we have our youth worship team uh, lead worship. Yesterday was that day here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, Matthew's group, um, you know, they're really, really young people. Uh, it, it was spectacular worship. I mean, it's not cute. You know, a lot of times we let kids do things and it's cute. They were really, really good. But here's what's the best thing about them. We've got these kids, and I think the age of this group of, of kids was from 16 to, uh, well, we have actually have one father who uh, of, of two of the kids who are on the worship team. And by the way, he looks as young as they do almost. Um... um the music was just spectacular. And these are kids that know the Lord and love Him. It's not just know about Him. Uh, there was no performing. They weren't up there giving a rock concert. Um, they, they were absolutely spectacular. Uh, and you could see them growing in their relationship with the Lord. And, and what I love about it the most, uh, other than knowing those kids and knowing all of them for a very, very long time, is, is I love the fact that... that their parents can come and watch these kids serve Jesus. Their friends are watching them serve Jesus. They're setting example in life and love and behavior. They're, they're, um, and then, of course, they're good. We had, I think, seven people on the worship band yesterday, and uh, it was just spectacular. So, um, yes, musical instruments are just fine. Here is... Um, Wait, I'm going to call her. I'll take that one first. Um, let's go to Roland calling from San Antonio. Roland, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yes, sir, Pastor Ron. I want to give a message out to uh, Art just to let him know that life is good and uh, we're just here temporarily because I'm also completely blind. I've lost my eyesight 21 years ago. I've had two kidney transplants and I have a leg, amputated leg. And I've been having rough patches, but two months after I lost my eyesight, I was on dialysis. There was an error made by a young lady that first started, you know, giving dialysis, and she made an error, gave me the wrong kind of uh, blood thinner and and ruined my optic nerves. There's no cure for that right now, but I'm I'm waiting on the Lord to come up with something. He already has, (laughs) I know, but it's going to take a little while for it to get to me. I just want to let Art know, do not lose that faith, my brother. Do not lose that faith. Keep it strong. He knows. He knows what you're going through, but life is so good that you got to appreciate what you do got and not what you don't have. Yeah, and Roland, just wonderful. praise the Lord, and and heaven is almost here, and that's that's what we're looking for. <laughs> then you'll have Thank your you, eyesight. Roland. Yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Roland. God bless you. you see, that's the God gift of you. encouragement. Uh huh. Uh, Roland just demonstrated the gift of encouragement uh, and the gift of comfort. Um, uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes that we should comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. And, and Roland, from a perspective of the world, could have a lot to complain and grumble about. But, but what he said, Art, and this is important, what he said is what we need to practice. We need to focus on what we have. There's a whole bunch of people with perfect eyesight. Now, Everybody in this program knows or listening at any length of time knows that I'm also visually impaired. 
I'm not completely blind. I just can't focus. I have no depth perception. So um, I can see things. I just can't make them out. Um, and for me, with all that God has done in my life, to focus on what I don't have would be to miss the point. And that's what Roland was saying to you, Art. Instead of focusing on the pain, understand that Jesus is with you and he gets it because he himself endured infinitely greater than what you're going through. Now, I know it doesn't make us feel better when somebody says, well, somebody else has it worse. Well, when you hear a voice like Roland's and you, you, you listen to what he has done and his eye problem is a result of a mistake and you hear the joy, this is a man, Art, who's found that God's grace is enough. This is a man who understands that he still has time to tell people about Jesus. He still has time to focus on the goodness of God. And Art, that's how we fight. That's how we win the battle. In my message yesterday, we talked about um, our salvation being nearer than when we first believed. Time is running short and we will be with the Lord in a glorified, resurrected body, and as Roland said, then we will see everything. Thank you, Roland. God bless you, man. 340-9585. We've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the last 30 minutes of our Monday program, 340-9585. Um, I love this audience. Art, um, Mary called into the studio and her message to you is, I've heard your cry, Art, in my sickness I am praying for you. See, that right there, Art, is proof that God's real, that he loves you. And now he's got people who are hurting themselves who are praying for you. Roland, Mary, thank you very, very much. That's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. Here is the anonymous question I was going to get before the call. Um, I've been hurt in church before and stopped going. How can I get my passion for church back? Anonymous, you need to stop focusing on you. And honestly, you need to grow up a little bit in your faith. And I say that with all the love and sensitivity that I, I can possibly have. You know, when, when we get hurt in church and we stop going, it, it's almost though we're saying, okay, well, Jesus, since you didn't do anything for me, I'm not going to do anything for you. The church is Jesus' body. We have to remain passionate. And the way we do that is to be obedient. So Anonymous, open your Bible. Do what it says. Take Paul's advice in Romans chapter 12. Offer your body, heart, soul, mind, strength as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And do what you're supposed to do regardless of how you feel. You know, passion isn't something that we wait for, God gives us, and then we're okay. Passion is something that we demonstrate by what we do. Jesus, his last week on earth, is called Passion Week, Anonymous. Passion Week. He proved that we were his passion. He proved that obeying his Father was his passion. And the way he did that was to Climb on that cross. He allowed his body to be broken, beaten. He gave up his spirit and died. Why? Because he was passionate. He didn't want to do it, but he did it anyway. Well, too often we wait until we feel like going back to church in a situation like this. Or too often we wait until we feel passionate about something. I had a young man who I love with all of my heart. In fact... He's a young man who's been called to be a pastor, and I know it, and he knows it. 
and he wanted to do something. He goes, that's what my passion is. And I told him, I said, at your age, you don't get to do what you're passionate about. You have to do what you're asked to do by God. You be obedient, and then the passion comes. These are the tests and trials. So anonymous, it's not Jesus' fault you got hurt in church. And even this whole concept of being hurt in church is a little bit foreign to me. I understand people say things, they hurt your feelings. I understand that people turn out not to be who or what you thought they were. But, but isn't that the way it is in the world that we live in? Certainly not just church. So don't blame the institution of the church. The church, Anonymous, is what's standing up for Art and his call. The people that have called and shared, now all the people that are praying. Well, in the church that you attend or used to attend, the same thing is true. There are men and women and children who are beloved by God. They're his body. We're all gifted to do different things. And truthfully, you need the body, and the body needs you. Acts 5.32 says God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey, and the context there is is in power. Um, I, I can substitute passion, obey God, and his passion will come into you and through you. But, but you got to stop trying to protect yourself. you got to learn to trust Jesus. Isn't it interesting that those of us who claim to have enough faith to believe in Jesus, isn't it interesting that we turn away from him the first time something doesn't go our way? So you want your passion back? Be obedient. Be a part of a body. Find a church that teaches the Bible. Find a church where you can use the gifts that God has given you. Don't find a church or even try to find a church where people will make you feel better. That's missed the point. You know, Anonymous, in my message yesterday, uh, the, we were in Romans chapter 13. I'm going to pick up there and finish the chapter this coming Sunday. But when Paul wrote, our salvation is nearer than when we first believe, and the context there is loving people, sincerely loving people, both believers and unbelievers. The idea there, the context is, is we're running out of time to love people. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is going to come soon, we're running out of time. We better make the use of the time that we have by loving people. If, if you're going to die soon, you're running out of time to love people. So we need to make the most of every opportunity. He says, redeeming the time. And we need to use that time to love people. So it's not about you being loved. I said something else yesterday that I hope will minister to your heart. I said, well, the Bible tells us that we owe a continuing debt of love. It's an unpayable debt, but we owe it. It's the only thing that we're to have outstanding, the only debt. Well, we owe this continuing debt to love others. The Bible never once, Anonymous says, that we're owed love. Never once. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Because God demonstrated his love for us by dying for us on a cross. We don't need somebody to love us. We don't need attention. Because Jesus gave us all of his attention. And he did it because his Father loved us so much, for God so loved the world. Focus on that instead of focusing on what somebody has done to you. Um, one other suggestion, practically, you want your heart to change just to, to, towards somebody who's been hurting you or who has hurt you, start praying for them and start praying for them now. Thanks a lot. Let's go to, I've got a question from Cindy, called into the studio. Which scriptures pertain to, to, the, to the milk of the word? That's in Hebrews. Um, I'll find it um, real quickly, but um, the, the milk of the word is sort of the, the, the pablum of the word. You've got to get the milk to get healthy. We, we all understand when a baby's born, um, the best thing for that baby is mother's milk. Um, but, but it'd be kind of gross if at 10 years of age your baby was still coming to mother for her milk. So the milk of the word, the pure milk of the word, is the foundation of what's done. Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. 
Um, but, but we also then need to grow up from that and mature. And that's the context that uh, Paul is speaking uh, in, in Hebrews. He's saying it's time for you to grow up. Some of you ought to be teachers by now, but you're still on baby food instead of on, on meat. We need meat. So, Cindy, the scriptures um, um, are, are simply talking about we're starting out with this pure, healthy milk that helps us grow, the milk of the word, but then graduating on to other things as well. You know, Cindy, one of the things that we have at our church, we call a foundations class. It's at 5 o'clock on Sunday evenings. And and the, the whole class is designed to um, um, deal with the, the milk of the Word uh, for, for new believers or those who whose foundation in the Word is not very strong. Um, we talk about the, these these doctrinal issues. We, we we start from the simplest of levels, and we 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 help people grow in the floor in their understanding. But the whole idea is that we start with the milk, we get healthy with the milk, but then we've got to go on to to, to greater things. So, Cindy, I hope that helps you and uh, understand. I'll get that passage of scripture to you. Um, First Peter chapter two verse two says it as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And then of course in Hebrews also Paul uh, refers to this by now. Some of you ought to be teachers, but you're still stuck in baby foods. My paraphrase. So First Peter two two, um, Cindy is the answer. Thank you very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is. A question from Josh. Uh, he says, do you think we have to confess our sins to a priest or a pastor? Josh, we sin, we confess our sins to our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us, Jesus. The idea of a religious confessional uh, is not found in Scripture. It is uh, based on tradition. Uh, many times when people are caught in that, they are confessing their sins to people who are are uh, are sinners themselves, in many cases steeped in much greater sin. Uh, and, and that's just uh, not the way at all uh, that we're supposed to do it. Now, it's not harmful. Uh, we are, we, we're, we're encouraged to confess our faults one to another. Uh, I think having people that we can talk to about real-life problems is important. I think having people that will encourage us when we've fallen into sin uh, is critical, in fact. But we have one who intercedes for us, just one, and his name is Jesus. And when you confess your sins to him, according to 1 John 1, 9, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive you instantly. But not just that to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, he takes away your sins and he restores your fellowship, your relationship with him instantly and perfectly. You don't need to do that and go through a man. You know, this whole idea that we can go into a confessional and be absolved of our sins is is silly. As no man has the, the ability to forgive sins. Now, we can declare the message of Christ and if somebody accepts it, we can then say your sins are forgiven. But that's not us conveying forgiveness. That's simply informing them that forgiveness has already been given by Jesus Christ. And this whole man-made religion thinking that says, well, I can go into a confessional and confess my sins and say so many Hail Marys or, 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 or have some sort of penance is to miss the whole point of our relationship with Jesus. You know, we have been saved. Josh, past tense, we have been saved from everything we've ever done. We are being saved from the sin that's in our life now. And we will be saved from every sin that we ever commit in the future. Salvation has three parts to it. Past, present, future. And when we're born again we're justified just as if we'd never sinned and then we work out that justification in this life the process we call sanctification and the only thing you need to do when you mess up is say Jesus I blew it I'm sorry please forgive me 
And basically he says, let's forget about it and keep walking. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the priest or pastor uh, can help you find the one who can forgive you, but we have no power or authority to forgive. You know, that's a great thing about a relationship with Jesus. There's no man needed, no human needed. You know, we need each other in terms of the body of Christ. But Jesus has done all the work. He continues to do all the work. Religion is always trying to find a man to stand in where only God belongs. Really important. Here's a question from Rodney, sort of a similar question to Nacho's question that opened the program. If God wants us to live abundant lives, doesn't it mean he wants us to be prosperous financially? Why aren't all Christians rich? Well, Rodney, the reason all Christians aren't rich is because that's not God's plan. God wouldn't give people what he knows would cause them to stumble. Remember the situation with the rich young ruler, what must I do to be saved? Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Why would Jesus say that? Jesus isn't against people being wealthy. Well, what Jesus understood is that this rich young man was possessed by his possessions. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. When we're rich, we don't depend on God. If we have everything that we need, we don't look to God for help. So it's never been God's plan for Christians to be rich or to be prosperous or successful. It is God's plan that we live abundant lives. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't have a lot of money. Do you think he lived an abundant life? Peter, all the other disciples turned apostles. They weren't rich. Matthew, the tax collector, gave up his money. Remember little Zacchaeus. He, Here and now I pay back four times what I stole. He had an abundant life only after repenting of his sin. So you got to broaden your context horizons a little bit, Rodney. God wants us to live abundant, rich, passionate lives. But there's no place where we're promised or even where it's hinted that God wants us to be wealthy. Now, if God, and he does give people the gift to make money, and there are some people that he's blessed with an abundance of money, we have some of those people in our church. But you know why? Because God can trust them with his money. Because they're generous. A generous man himself will be blessed by the Lord, Proverbs 11 says. Rodney, can God trust you with money? Are you giving now? Are you a generous person now? A lot of times money is a big stumbling block. Now, there's nothing evil about money. But if God can't trust you with money, and for most of us he can't, he's not going to give you something that's going to cause you to stumble. One final thought on this, Rodney, and this is maybe the most important thing I'm going to say to you. If your life is preoccupied with material success, material wealth, then you need to really discover who Jesus was. He who didn't even have a place to lay his own head. He was an itinerant preacher. The one who left the, the, the richness of heaven on earth was basically a pauper. Do you want to be like Jesus, or do you want to be rich? If you make the right choice, maybe one day he'll be able to trust you with money as well. Here is a question, Anonymous. Are you familiar with the way of the master evangelism? Yeah, I am, Rodney. In fact, I know uh, Ray Comfort a little bit. Uh, he, at one time, was a... Uh, staff pastor at Calvary Chapel in the Los Angeles area, and, and I've um, spent some time with Ray. Uh, um, he and Kirk Cameron are the ones who developed the way of the master, uh, and it's simply using the law to let people be aware that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it, because the Bible says it's God's kindness, His goodness that leads to repentance. 
And I think sometimes if we go out and we start to argue with people and we um, do the best that we can to uh, debate with them and win the debate, I think we miss the whole point. Uh, when you're out street witnessing, we have a street witnessing team uh, here at our church. And, you know, if you go out and start telling people, do you know, have you ever told a lie? Yes, I've told a lie. Well, well what does that make you? It makes me a liar. Well, do you think God's going to let liars in heaven? And they, they, they think now the law is great at making us aware of our sin. Our conscience is great at making us aware of our sin. But I'm just not sure it's the most effective way to share Jesus Christ and the riches of heaven that are available to all who will believe. Now, having said that, the one thing I can tell you from my experience with Ray Comfort is that his heart is pure gold. His heart is pure gold. He loves Jesus with all of his heart. And not only that, but everything he does, he does with that one goal. He wants to bring honor and glory to the Lord. He wants people in heaven. So uh, if it works for him, great. It's not something that we would do at our church. Um, but it's certainly not wrong. And, and he and Kirk Cameron both uh, are interested in winning souls. You know, they're both uh, waiting for the rapture of the church. And every single person that gets saved brings us one step closer to that moment when we're with Jesus. And I know uh, that that's the only thing that Ray Comfort really cares about. Do not know Kirk Cameron. I'm sure he's a great guy. Uh, but um, Ray Comfort, I know. 340-9585. Here's a question from Lee. He or she wants to know, was Judas ever a believer? The answer is no. Remember when Jesus said he was a son of perdition, doomed to destruction from before the foundations of the world. Now, he knew who Jesus was. He believed that Jesus was God. But he didn't personally appropriate that. Judas was always looking out for Judas. He was robbing from the money bag. He was always looking for the easy way out. At the end, when he finally was given over to Satan to betray our Lord, um, he did it because he thought he could manip manipulate Jesus into establishing his kingdom now. When Judas finally realized that Jesus was going to die and that Israel would not be delivered from Rome instantly and that Judas wasn't going to rule and reign in Jesus' kingdom in his lifetime? Well, that was the opening the enemy needed to convince him to betray him. See, Judas was only interested in Judas. He knew he betrayed innocent blood. He knew who Jesus was. Think about this for a moment, Lee. Judas did miracles. Remember when the, uh, the Lord sent his disciples out two by two? Now, we don't know who, and I, I always I don't know why, but I always think of this. Who did he go with? Did he go one time with Peter? Did he go one time with John? And I, I always considered it possibly he did because both John and Peter were troubled. You can tell in their epistles were troubled their entire lives that they didn't know it was Judas who betrayed him. They didn't know it. Maybe Judas was with them on one of those trips where they did miracles, where they cast out demons. But he was never a believer. And when the King James says that he repented, it doesn't mean he repented in the sense that you and I understand. He was sorry that things didn't work out. And so, no, he was never a believer. If he was a believer, Jesus said, I've lost none that you've given me, only the one doomed to destruction. But that's because Jesus never had him. And by the way, Jesus knew always that Judas was a betrayer. And yet he loved him anyway. And even to the last moment, Judas betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Even at that moment, he gave him an opportunity to repent. But he didn't. Here is a question from Ash. Uh, he or she says, If God is sovereign... Why should we pray if God has already determined what he's going to do? Well, Ash, God is sovereign, but that doesn't mean that he acts independent of our will. And the reason we should pray is because he told us to pray. 
He told us to pray and not cease. You know, it's always interesting to me, and Ash, I don't know you, so this isn't personal, but but normally when I get this kind of a question, it's sort of like, well, well, what's the point in praying if God's going to do what God's going to do? Well, God knows what you're going to do. The problem is you don't know what you're going to do. So he puts us in a situation where we can be obedient. He asks us to pray. And if we don't pray, what we've demonstrated is that we only want what we want instead of wanting what God wants. So we should pray because Jesus said to pray. We should pray because it pleases the God. We should pleases the Lord. We should pray because we get to know Him better. You see, Ash, the purpose of prayer is not to get God to agree with us. The real motive of our praying is for us to agree with Him. And if we will agree with Him, your whole life will change. David writes in the Psalms that if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, how you understand that helps to determine where your heart is. The person who says, well, I want God to give me everything, so I'm going to delight in God, is really a selfish person. But the person who says, you know what, I'm going to delight in the Lord, I'm going to clear my heart and let God put His desires in my heart, those are prayers that He can answer. So remember, we pray to get to know Him better. We pray because He died for our sins and enabled us to. We pray simply because He told us to. And ask you if you need any more reason than that. You don't get it. You just don't get it. God is indeed sovereign. But you know what God wants to do more than anything else? He wants to partner with us in the work that He's planned for us. And if our relationship with God is based on what have you done for me or what are you going to do for me? Well, I'll say it again. We just don't get it. Pray, Ash. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Remember, ladies, and uh, we've got our Ladies Bible Study. Dr. Sheba will be teaching tonight at 7 o'clock. CalvarySA.com. You can watch it live stream or come join us live. Lord willing, I'll be back here tomorrow on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.